Good morning. Let me share two things before we jump into the lesson. If you'll notice in the bulletin, there's uh, always several things that you need to be aware of, too, uh, where there's some deadlines you need to know about. We're asking for you to help with Cox Middle School. Uh, we uh, collect the school supplies now, especially with the sales, and those are wrapping up. So if you want to be a part of that, um, get those now, and then we'll deliver those to the school. They save those until January when some of the students are running short and then they disperse those and that's always a good thing and then also for the gift cards the deadline to contribute for that is tomorrow and again the details are in the bulletin and of course on the front page is the mobile health unit it'll be here Saturday this is a project of the college age and young professionals class they are uh, spearheading this so many of you have been given food and thank you for that uh, today that class is going to be canvassing the neighborhood right around our church building inviting folks to come to this and so pray for that pray that good will come and that we can be a lot in our community uh, i want to encourage you to open the back of the bulletin to the outline and i want to encourage you to take notes because i don't know if you know this or not but if you take notes while you're listening to a sermon you're much more likely to go to heaven <laughs> doesn't the bible say that or at least like you get a fast pass like at a theme park you know you get in the front of the line or maybe you get to pick your room in the mansion first uh, i know not everybody is uh, that kind of learner but i want to encourage you in this study specifically because we're not necessarily going to have one text that you can open your bible to i'm going to share several passages and so it may be the kind of study where you might want to write the verse down and then go back and, and study the context of that passage a little bit later for your own depth of understanding the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? You know not what you worship. I share that because... I want to introduce this next series of studies so we can know God better. We can know him and love him deeper. I want all of us to know God as best as we can. Maybe you remember the story of a little boy who was coloring a picture in Bible class, and the teacher asked him, well, what are you coloring? And he said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she was quite intrigued by that and said, well, well how can you do that because nobody knows what God looks like and the little boy said well they will when I get through <laughs> I don't know many people who are that secure in their knowledge of God most of us want to know more about God we have a hunger to know him better we feel like we've got more to discover but what bothers me is the people who don't care they don't care about knowing God more they, they are okay to remain in the dark and what's so sad about that to me is because their lack of knowledge and without even knowing where I was going in this lesson, Philip prayed about this in his prayer this morning. All of our struggles, all the things that are on our mind, they, they take our hearts and our minds off of God. So much trouble that we deal with can be a direct result of our not knowing who God is. And maybe that explains the condition that you're suffering from today. Let me clarify what I mean. In this introductory lesson, I kind of want to play the role of doctor this morning. If you look at your outline, you see there's going to be a diagnosis. I'm going to begin by diagnosing the problem, giving a prescription like any good doctor, and then also ask if you're willing 
to pay the price to get well. So here's the diagnosis. The world suffers from a lack of knowledge of God. Isn't that true? The world suffers from a lack of knowledge about God. More and more, I am convinced this is the root to so many problems because Satan has been so effective to distort a true understanding of God. Or maybe I should say an understanding of the true God. So many people think they know God. They've heard about him all their lives. Maybe they've been in church all of their lives. But do they really understand the true God? A man was visiting a church, and the preacher was talking with him, and they talked about some spiritual things. And then the man said, you just need to know I'm looking for something in my life, but I don't think I can buy into God. In fact, I think I'm probably an atheist. I don't believe in your God. Well, that kind of threw the minister back a notch, and he thought a moment. He said, well, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And so the man went on to explain a mean, vindictive, judgmental God who was like a staff sergeant just uh, putting all this uh, punishment on people who were suffering. And I think the reply of the minister shocked him because when he said, well, in that case, I think I'm an atheist too. He said, how can you be an atheist? He said, because I don't believe in that kind of God either. Ever since the garden, Satan has tried to keep the true God hidden from us. He's distorted everything God has ever revealed about himself. And he's put this, this, this cloak, this, this veil, this misunderstanding. And we know a little bit about God. We know some about God. But do we truly understand who he is? Because his strategy of keeping us in the dark about truly knowing God. His strategy has been enormously successful. Paul says, explains why the world is so sick. When he wrote the book of Romans, chapter 1, if you study the book of Romans, you know, chapter 1, he just lays out in a very foundational way that this is a sin-sick world. We've got a sin problem. Look at Romans 1, 21 through 23. For although, although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Someone once said, God made man in his own image, and man quickly returned the favor. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying in this passage? That's what happens when you don't choose to remain, uh, keep the knowledge of God in your mind. When you give up, you find something else to worship. And what we do as man, as mankind, is that it's really just a distortion of ourselves. That's where we end up. You want to know what it looks like when mankind does this? When even though we might know of God or about God, but we refuse to acknowledge him as God. What does that look like? Well, if you keep reading in Romans 1, look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Look at this description. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Did you notice what Paul is saying here? That anytime anybody gives up the knowledge of God, immediately they fall into idolatry? It just, it just happens. This creation of a distorted God, something else to have allegiance, something else to, to, to give the answers, the solutions, to, to call the shots. You know, most of Paul's early ministry was to Jews, but when he went to Athens, that was different. Those people were not from a Jewish background, so he had to change his approach. And the Athens, the people of Athens were very intellectual. They were smart, educated people, and they loved to talk, and they loved to listen. So when Paul went to Athens, first he was talking about Jesus, and the word spread. So the intellectuals wanted to know more. Tell us about this Jesus. So what, what would Paul say? What would his approach be? Look at Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For, I passed for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul so well stated that it is man's proper state to not be ignorant about God. He wanted them to know about this unknown God. He didn't want them to be in the dark any longer. Satan had duped them, deceived them. And Paul wanted to turn the lights on so they could understand. Again and again, we read in the Bible that the, the mission of us as Christians is to spread the true knowledge of God to people everywhere we go. That is who we are. That's what we're called to. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Christians, we have no higher mission, no higher calling than to do just that. And again, Philip mentioned that in his prayer. Thank you, Philip. You just kind of set the stage so well. As we leave here, that our focus is not on all the issues and troubles and struggles. We're focused on the one true God. And we are to spread that aroma everywhere we go. So here's the question. Put it on your outline. It's on the screen. Do you even know the God you are to share? If you and I were to go and tell people about him... Do you know him? What do you know about him? Do you know the God you are to share? How many of us truly passionately hunger to know God? Do you even have that hunger? Let me share two verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the New that I think answers that question. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And then Jesus' prayer just before the cross, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Well, according to Jesus, it's the knowledge of God. You have a relationship with him. He wants you to know God. Well, how do we do that? Well, 
That's the prescription. We search the scriptures to see what the Bible says. This is God's book. This is what he wrote for us. This is what he wants us to know about him. So this pursuing knowing God, we can begin by learning the names of God. That's what this series is going to be about. Now, for some of us, that's going to be a review. For others, this may be the first time. But this is a great way for us to know who God is, to at least begin to know him better. One author shared that there's more than 80 names in the Bible about God. I've not found all 80 of them yet. I keep looking. But that's a lot. Some of them are used more frequently than others. So let's talk about the importance of names for a moment. You've heard of the name William Shakespeare? Of course you have. We love and appreciate William Shakespeare. Do you remember there's a line in Romeo and Juliet that Juliet says, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Remember that? Beautiful literature, romantic line. We remember it, but it's wrong. Because names are important. Names are important to us. Now, I know technically names are just a combination of syllables that we utter and that we recognize as our name. And, and I share that in, in our staff meeting this week, we were talking about being grandparents and grandparent names and, and the ridiculousness of some grandparents' names because you all know that one woman or man that becomes the grandparent. And they say, this is what I want my grandchildren to call me. This is my grandparent name. And then that first grandchild is born, and they utter some blah, blah, blah. And that becomes the grandmother name. So whatever they said it was, just whatever that syllable is. And they said, yep, that's what sticks. Names are important. If names are not important, why are there no guys named Judas? Why do we not name our little girls Jezebel? Why do we go to court to change our names legally? Why do expectant parents spend weeks and weeks and months agonizing on just the perfect name and then they, pl they plaster it all over the nursery and monogram anything and everything they can? Because names are important. One author quoted a study of 15,000 juvenile delinquents found that a child given an absurd or embarrassing name is four times as likely to become a delinquent. See, if we can get this, and we do, we, we get this, even more so for the Jews, for the Hebrew people. They understood this. They knew, even more than for us, names represented a person's character. It was their identity. It's who they were. It was their substance. It was their nature. It revealed who they were especially when God did the naming. You might recall kind of an obscure story, but there's a time when David had this interchange between Abigail and her husband. Do you remember that? His name was Nabal, Nabal, which means fool or foolish. The Bible tells us that. And if you go back and read, it's 1 Samuel chapter 25, you get the story about how foolish he was. Did you read the story? He just lived up to his namesake. The Hebrews believed that your name personified who you were. So if you're changing your character, you've changed your name. So God said to Abram, you will become the father of many nations. Your name will be Abraham. Jesus said to Simon, you are to be a rock, solid, steadfast. I'm going to call you Peter. That's why the Jews were taught to revere the names of God. They knew that God's names 
or really a revealing, a revelation of his character. And sharing his name, God was telling him, here, I want you to know this about me, and this about me, and this about me. That's what the names meant. They were representations of his very being. That's why, for the Hebrew people, the Jews, they believed if you treated the name of God lightly, or flippantly, or in vain, you were doing the same to God. So they revered his name. I want to share some things about God's name because I want us to understand what a blessing it is that he's revealed his names to us. The first one is this. God's names are a gift of grace. God's names are a gift of grace. In scripture, to name something means to have dominion over it. You remember in creation, God said to Adam he was to name the animals. He had dominion over them. And Adam even named Eve. I think that's kind of a representation of him being the head of the family. I think that's why God said to Joseph through the angel to give this new baby the name Jesus. Mary didn't name him. Joseph didn't name him. God named his son. He, he was the one in charge so when you name something, you have dominion over it. That's why you and I do not name God. He names himself. He reveals his name to us. And when God volunteers all of this to us, he wants us to know. So in our study of God's names, we're going to learn at different points as God deals with his people. He will share, this is who I am, and he'll reveal another name, another aspect of his character, another angle about his nature. And you'll see that as we go through this series. But get this. This is God's option. This is pure grace. This is him just kind of opening up a little bit and saying, I want you to know this about me. I want you to see me and who I really am by knowing my names. Now, we all understand that there's not just one name in the Bible that tells us everything there is to know about God be great if there was but there's not one each one shares a little aspect that's different than the other but together we learn so much and again God giving us these names is a gift of grace but number two I want you to see that God's names are an invitation to intimacy it means to get to know him in the Greek language the very word name comes from the verb that means to know something or someone and we get this, when you give someone your name, that's an invitation for them to get to know you. A stranger calls you on the phone and you answer and you don't recognize the number and they ask your name. If you don't know them, you're reluctant to give your name, right? Because you don't know them and you're not sure you want to invite them in like that. So to give your name is to invite them to get to know you. You get one of those calls and... You don't know them and they mispronounce your name you know they don't know who they're talking to because you've not given them the name they got it off a list or maybe somebody told them about you some of you ladies might remember when you were dating a young man might flirt with you and ask your name if you're not interested you wouldn't give your name or maybe you give your best friend's name I don't know what you would do but if you gave your name to him that meant you were interested you wanted to take it to the next step. You wanted him to get to know you better. When God gives us his names, he's asking us to get to know him. God doesn't want to be a mystery. He doesn't want to be a secret. 
He doesn't want to be some, uh, uh, something that we can never figure out. Over and over again, he's given us name after name after name after name. And when we get all these names together, it helps us to see and understand who he is. See, there's a huge difference in knowing about someone and knowing someone. We get that. A lot of us know a lot about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. But who in this room or listening to this message really knows them? We think we do. We know a lot about them, but we don't really know them. God is not just interested in you knowing facts about him. God doesn't want you to worship him from a distance. He's inviting you in. He wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him better than you know anybody. So he says, here's my name. And then third, note this, God's name or a call to trust. It's a call to trust. If you will learn who I am, if you will understand the kind of relationship that we can enjoy together, if you'll learn all that I can do for, for you, if you will pursue me, which is really the whole message of the Bible, you will learn that you can count on me. Look how David wrote about this. This could be our theme. This is our scripture reading today, Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, God has given us his names so we can know him. But even more, and I put this on your outline, it's on the screen. God's names reveal that he is the answer to our problems. God's name reveals he's the answer to our problems. I want to share a few examples to make this point and also to kind of serve as an illustration or preview of what we're going to study. Don't feel like you've got to write all these down because we're going to get to these. But here's a couple of examples. Even today, if you're in this room or listening online, there are some who may be feeling powerless and weak. You feel like your problems are bigger than you can ever handle. Did you know... One of God's names is El Shaddai, the Almighty God. You might remember reading that in your Bible, El Shaddai, Almighty God. And when you read that in your English Bible, the A is capitalized because that's his name. God wants you to know that he has a power for your need. Some of you may feel insignificant that nobody cares for you. Nobody notices you. But did you know one of God's names is El Roy, R-O-I, El Roy, the God who sees. God knows you. He cares about you. There's not a sparrow that falls out of a tree that he's not aware of. Jesus told us that. God sees everything. God sees you. That is who he is. He's watching over you because you are his child. Some are feeling anxious, worried. Maybe about your children, maybe about bills, maybe about health, maybe about COVID, maybe about this country. What's going to happen? We don't know. One of God's names in the Bible is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. God is saying, if you really knew me, no matter how chaotic this world becomes, I can be your peace even in the midst of any storm you're going through. Some today are feeling shame. Because your sins keep tripping you up. You can't get past your past. You know what Jesus did on the cross, but you can't seem to forgive yourself. 
Did you know one of God's names is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. That is who he is. That is what he wants to do, to give you his righteousness. It's big enough to cover your sin. Or maybe you're feeling destitute, overwhelmed, overpowered. Another name for God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And again, as you read through the Bible, you see that again and again and again. And we're going to study that. Some of you may be feeling sick and you pray constantly. And that's one of the hardest prayers we pray because we pray that so much, so routinely. It's hard for it not to become meaningless. But one of God's names is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. God has the power to heal. That is who he is. Or maybe you feel lonely. His name is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. He wants to know he is with you every step. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There is so much that God wants you to know about him. And every one of these names shares another component, another angle, again, about his nature, about his character. Look at Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So grateful that Rob picked these songs for us to lead today. And how many of our songs, so many of them right out of the Psalms, that, that talk about the name of God, the name of God, the name of God. Why does the name of God matter? Because the name of God matters. Because it reveals so much of who he is. And like this, this proverb says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. If we knew God, we would read that and go, oh, yes, he is. He is my strong tower, and I can run to him at any time, and I will have the refuge that I need with whatever it is that I'm trying to escape from. Gary Burge was a Bible teacher in Israel, and he had the task of writing an article for a magazine about the Palestinian believers in Jesus. And to do that... He had a goal of interviewing a doctor there, Dr. Assan. He was at a hospital at the Gaza Strip. So he went to interview the doctor, but to get to them, he had to go down this deserted road. This, uh, and as he went down the road, got about halfway, he figured out why the road was deserted. Because on one side was the Israeli militia, on the other side was the Palestinians. And the rocks started throwing, and he heard gunfire, and so he just started running. To the gate where he could get in. But when he got there, the gate was locked because of all the chaos that was going in. So he knocked on the door. Dr. Hassan, Dr. Hassan, I'm here to see Dr. Hassan. The door opened. They grabbed his arm and pulled him in and shut it closed. Here's what he said. He would have died if he had not known the one name to call. But he knew the name to call. And the door was open. What I'm trying to say today is God wants to be that tower for you. The name of the Lord is like a strong tower. And those who run to him are safe. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So maybe that can be a, a, a question, an introspective question. Where is my trust where's my trust I said I want to be a doctor this morning told you the disease 
gave you a prescription. Now you've got to decide if you want it to be filled and if you're going to take it. Because even a doctor, the best doctor, they can diagnose the problem, they can tell you what needs to be done, but when you leave their office, it's up to you. They cannot make you well. They cannot force you. Do you remember when Jesus was walking in Jerusalem and there by the pool of Siloam was the lame man? He had been crippled for 37 years. And he asked the man a question that I want all of us to be asked this morning. John 5, 6. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Some people have been sick for so long, they don't even know what it's like. They forgot what it's like to be well. And maybe they're afraid to be cured. Do you really want to get rid of your diseases? Do you really want to let go of these things that are keeping you from knowing God, from trusting in Him, from running to Him like the tower He says He is? Here's a warning. Studying the names of God can be dangerous. This kind of study, would you go deeper? And I, and I say this because I want to challenge you to stay with us to learn some of these names about God. You may learn something new. You may be reminded of something that you had gathered at some point in your walk with the Lord. But when you study the names of God, it is not about information. This is not going to be a test. Okay, let's list them out, fill in the blank. This is not about information. This is about transformation. You can know everything about God, but folks, we're not voting for a president. This is the one who created us. This is the one who made us. That's going to be our first study next week. Elohim, the God, the creator. This is who he is. When you learn God this way, this well, when you know God, it will blow the, the lid off any box you might be trying to put God into. Because there's something about human nature, and we can all do, do this by default if we're not careful, that we believe in God, and we come to church every Sunday, and we try to do what we're supposed to do, and live like we're supposed to live, and I'll teach my children, but God, you come on into my life, and I've got a nice little corner over here for you to sit. When you learn about who God is, you realize God doesn't fit in the corner of any box. God doesn't fit in a box, period. When you know who he is. But how many Christians are content with keeping God in a box? Never thought about him that way? Don't know for sure that I want to know about him like that. I'm comfortable with the way things are. I'm using several books for this study. I've even bought a few more. There's just some new ones that have come out. But Kay Arthur has one that's helped me. And I love the title. And I share it because I love the title. It's called, Lord, I Want to Know You. Because that's what the names are about. It's not about the names. It's about knowing God. God doesn't sit in a corner. God sits on a throne. Socrates was asked, how can I acquire knowledge? So he took the man who asked him down to the river, and he grabbed him in the back of the hair of his head and pushed his head down into the water for what seemed like an eternity. And when he was just about to give up, he pulled the head back up, and he asked the man who had asked the question, what is the one thing that you wanted most? 
And he said, I wanted air. And Socrates says, when you want knowledge that much, you will get it. Folks, it's so easy for us to let Sunday come and Sunday go, and Monday comes and it's another day, and it's another routine, and we're another year and another decade, and we have not grown one iota in our knowledge of who God is. When you get into the Word and you really want to know God, here's the promise. He will make himself known to you. If you're looking... If you're searching, if you're seeking, you're going to see him like never before. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here's a prayer. Psalm 86, 10. Dare to pray this, if you will. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I mentioned the woman at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman, the most unlikely person. Go back and read that story in the context and realize why that woman was so unlikely to be with what happened with her. The conversation turned, if you remember. She was talking about the Messiah. And then Jesus said the words, do you remember? Do you remember? I am he. So the least likely person to become an ambassador for Jesus left that conversation. And you remember what happened next? Went back into the town to tell everybody about the Son of God. She opened her eyes. And Jesus revealed himself to her. Earlier, and get this, he said, you don't know what you worship, who you worship. She wasn't insulted by that. There wasn't a threat to her background. It was a fact. But Jesus was able to see her heart. And when she brought up the Messiah, it was the open door and he walked through. And her life was never the same. And she went to tell everybody. That's our mission as well. Do we know the God we are to share? Our invitation this morning is for you to say yes to Jesus. If you believe that he is the son of God and you're ready to confess your faith, we're so willing and eager to help you with that, to encourage you, you're ready to have your sins washed away in baptism. We'll help you with that. As you begin your new life with God's spirit living in you, we will become your church family because that's the way God designed it to be and that you learn God more and more. Or if we can pray for you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?